Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Just Saying Sports with Jake and Sean. My name is Jake Adnip. I'm here with Sean Dwyer. Go ahead and say hello, Sean. Howdy. Alrighty. So we got a good episode for you guys today. We took a little bit of time off, as you guys found out in our last episode. Sean has moved to Indianapolis, and it's been a crazy couple weeks, but we want to make sure that we still bring you guys some relevant information, some good talk, and a, a good show. So we don't want to slack at all. And, you know, we told you it's a weekly podcast. So we'll make sure that we keep this coming. And no matter what the struggles are, we want you to keep coming back and listening to us. So today on our show, I'm just saying we have a few different topics to cover. Uh, we're going to start off with the NBA finals, you know, the most current and relevant sports news. You know, the N- NHL finals have also taken a bit of a turn. So we'll touch on that just a little bit. And we're going to get back into our farm system breakdown. Uh, Sean is going to take a look at the Chicago White Sox and the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, they break down, you know, just like we did last time, you know, top guys in the system, who we expect to be around on opening day next year, who thinks, who Sean thinks will be around in this year even. And, and we will touch on the MLB draft that just finished up on Wednesday so we're going to go ahead and dive in here, Sean, and, you know, we'll start off with those NBA finals. The Warriors won today, you know, the day we're recording on Wednesday. They won game three, and now they're up 3-0. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of hard to even have a conversation about this at this point because, you know, it's, it's near impossible for the Cavaliers to do anything in this series. But do you think that LeBron and the Cavs will steal game four and not get swept? Maybe. Um, I think that they won't. I, yeah, I think the Cavaliers take game five just because – just a gut feeling. I mean, you know, conspiracy theory person in me says that the Cat Warriors are going to lose game five. You mean game four, right? Yeah, they're going to lose game four just because, you know, the past two times they've won this – championship they've won it in cleveland so part of me is just like they're going to try and win it in oakland this time and that's the only reason that's the only reason that the warriors would lose game four is because they lose it on purpose i don't (laughs) think that's the only reason why they would lose game four personally i think lebron james himself basically is good enough to steal one game from the warriors the warriors are the best team that our generation has seen i'm ready to say that now especially after what we saw today. Steph Curry had 11 points. Klay Thompson had 10 points. And they still won, like, I think it was something like 110 to 103. Yeah, uh, they won by seven or eight points. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that they dominated. This was, a, this was a battle. But the thing was is that the team overcame the individual. And there's sometimes that that's never going to work out. And you think about – you know, if you go all the way back to the, the 60s and 70s when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and the Celtics were facing off, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just couldn't do anything. He may have been one of the best players ever in NBA history. He could score 50 points a game and get 25 rebounds. But the Celtics of the time, they went to, what was it, like 11 straight NBA finals. They were the better team. It's the same thing. History repeats itself. If you have the best team in the NBA, you probably are going to win the championship. It doesn't happen all the time, but I'll say, especially because I think the Warriors are about to start a quote-unquote dynasty, winning three and four years and all that good stuff, this Warriors team is the best of our generation. 
Yeah, I know. Even looking at it, you know, podcasts that we did, you know, episode eight, which was on April 28th, was the first time we touched on the NBA playoffs. And I wrote down, you know, my predictions for the whole thing right down on paper. And I had Cleveland and Golden State, and I had six games. Um, I didn't expect Cleveland to struggle this much to play, come playoff time. But I just think, you know, Steph Curry, to me, the only question that's left for this finals is who wins the series MVP. Well, Steph could get his, yeah, Steph could get his first finals MVP, which is kind of funny to me because obviously they've already been there so many times that he hasn't even came close. But the thing is, is I don't know if he can get that MVP now because of the game three performance that he had, regardless of breaking the uh, three point record in game two for the NBA finals. Now I'm starting to see that the rest of the team is just as important as Steph Curry. And, you know, you, you look through regular season, Steph Curry had, or the record the Warriors had without Steph Curry was abysmal. But I'll tell you, when Steph Curry's only scoring 10 points, that just means he's average. And the Warriors are still winning. So I think that there might be a few other guys on the team who deserve some honors. Yeah, but then just the way the Golden State Warriors are built, I mean, nobody on their team has had more than one standout game in this finals. You know, Kevin Durant kind of faded into the background games one and two, but game three comes out and has a great game. You know, Steph Curry had a good game in game one, a great game in game two, and kind of has an off game in game three. And the same thing can be said for Clay Thompson as Steph Curry. It's just they're so good that they're superstars. Two or three of them could have an off night and they can still win by almost 10 points. That's ridiculous because two or three. Now, I just have to ask, I know you were talking about a little bit of game five, game four, game five action. What do you think is going to happen and how quickly does this end? Uh, just, yeah, just put a final prediction on it. I think the series will go five, five games. I think the Cavs will win game four just because LeBron's not going to get swept. You know, he's going to come out and do everything in his power to not get swept at home in what could be his last game in Cleveland. And we'll touch on that whole predicament at a later time. Yeah, once the season's over and we have a little bit better feel for free agency and such, I, I just had a conversation today with some coworkers about where he may go and what he may do. But that's not part of the conversation right now. Personally, yeah, not- if, you want, if you want me to make my prediction, I definitely agree with you. I think that LeBron and Cleveland are going to steal game four in Cleveland, and it's not even going to be a steal. They're just going to win it. And then Golden State's going to go home and raise the, raise the Larry O'Brien trophy. I'm in the same boat as you. There is no chance that there's a 3-0 comeback coming, so we can just tell everybody to keep that out of their heads. All right. That sounds good to me. Of course. Now, we're going to dive into the NHL playoffs just for a hot second. I do want to ask you, Sean, you know, the Capitals are – really kind of rolling now and everybody kind of thought Vegas was going to be the one, but with OV and the caps finally finding their stride, do you think there's any chance for goal or the golden Knights to come back? No, I don't think so. I don't think with games with Washington needing one win and at least one game remaining in Washington, I don't think the golden Vegas can come back. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is Mark Andre flurry. And I remember we were talking about this with, uh, Ryan, you know, he thought it would come down to on Marc-Andre Fleury and, you know, uh, Washington's goalie, and it would be who plays better, you know, who's able to do better. And I, I, I can't say that, that Fleury's played terribly, but he hasn't lived up to the expectations that goal, or the Golden Knights had for him 
going into the finals, especially with the performance that he had put on throughout the rest of the playoffs and the regular yeah. season. And I think that's going to be the difference is it's not Marc-Andre Fleury's fault per se, but I think that will be the downfall. Yeah, I agree. I think he hasn't really lived up to the full, just looking at numbers, um, he hasn't lived up to the full expectations they had for him going into the finals with all of his experience in the finals. Um, but and then again, you know, they haven't really done a lot offensively, just looking at numbers. Except for game one, of course. Except for except for game one. Um, they haven't put up a lot of offense behind Marc-Andre Fleury. So, you know, we'll see what happens the rest of the series. But I do think that Washington wins this one uh, within the next two games. Yeah, and I mean, it's very tough to call. And it, it's crazy because you do say, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury definitely probably has the most Stanley Cup experience out of anybody around there. You know, Washington hasn't made it to the Stanley Cup. Everybody in Vegas is basically brand new to the to the team, and there's only been a few who have any type of playoff experience. So hopefully uh, Flurry can rebound and push this series to a game seven, and then I would really like to see who can pull it out. I agree. All righty. So that's going to do it with our first segment today. We're going to come back here in just a second with Sean breaking down the Chicago White Sox in the, NL, in the AL Central, excuse me. And he's got a couple farm people. And if you remember how he did this last time, Sean's going to go pretty in depth on who you need to watch out for and why. So we'll be back here in just a second. Games that we're going to do today, but we'll just remind the people that in the AL, we're going to take care of the Chicago White Sox. And in the NL, we're going to take care of the St. Louis Cardinals. But when me and you talked about the White Sox, you told me they got a lot of high-level talent uh, in their farm system, and especially with the draft having such a high pick coming, that they really can get youngins in here to make a difference. So, you know, give me a quick review of the top 30 prospects here going on in the White Sox. Well, you know, to me, the Chicago White Sox system is, is very top-heavy. You know, you look at their top 10, and there are some very high-potential impact players in that top 10. When you drop down to the 11s, 15s, 18s, in that between 11 and top 30, um, there's not a lot of great, you know, high level MLB all star talent. But their top 10, um, six or seven of them could be future all stars. And I think one of them has a chance of being a Hall of Famer. Well, um, I mean, out of, out of these guys, I know they got out of, out of the, what you know, what's what we're dealing with, they got 14 pitchers, three catchers three first basemen, three middle infielders, and seven outfielders. Those are their top 30 prospects. But out of those guys, who's going to be in the MLB or who should be in the MLB in the next couple of years? Um, before the end of this year, I'm looking at, you know, three possibly, you know, Eloy Jimenez, Eloy Jimenez. Um, do 170 at-bats in the minors right now. He's batting 324. I think that's at AA. Um, he's got 10 home runs, 39 RBIs, a 966 OPS. The dude's hitting the ball outstanding. Um, Michael Kopik is another guy. You know, a lot of people recognize his name as being a guy. He's hit 105 on the gun before when he was in Boston's system. He was part of the trade that sent Yoan Mankata and him to Chicago for Chris Sale. So he's a big guy. And then they signed a guy out of Cuba, um, Luis Robert or Robert. Um, in Cuba in 2016, he hit over 400. In his first little bit of minor league ball in 2017, he hit 310. Um, 
he's a very high level guy in my opinion. He's a little bit further away than other guys. And then after that, you've got a big bunch of pitchers. You know, Alec Hansen, Dylan Cease, and Dane Dunning are big names. Um, right now, they kind of have um, one guy in Zach Birdie. He was a closer that they drafted. Um, he went straight to Tommy John, but you know, they drafted him to be a closer. He can hit 102 with a wipeout slider. I think he's going to be the future of their bullpen. Well, now I have to ask you, and this happens all the time. There was actually news today that, you know, the number 15 prospect out of St. Louis, he had to get Tommy John surgery as well and end his season. You know, this has been a big thing with pitchers over about the last decade that we've seen is there's a lot of big-name guys who have to get this elbow surgery with Tommy John. So do you think that Birdie could ever come back and start off a career after having Tommy John? Well, you just look at the number of guys that have had Tommy John and have come back and have had good numbers. I mean, you know, look at Johnny Ventures pitching for Tampa Bay right now out of their bullpen. He's had Tommy John four and a half times. He's still out there pitching. You know, it's not the same injury and same surgery that it used to be where it used to cripple a career. And then, um, yeah, well, Alex Reyes is the guy you're talking about. We'll touch on him more um, when we switch over to St. Louis. Of course. Now, uh, there's obviously somebody who they just picked up in the first round of this year's MLB draft and Nick Madrigal. You know, he's like a five seven second baseman, but why do you think they picked him? You know, to me, this pick doesn't, you know, MLB draft doesn't work on picking by need because if, you know, if they pick by need, they've got Tim Anderson, Yohan Moncada at second base shortstop where they kind of envision Madrigal playing. And so he's kind of blocked there, but, you know, Moncada has played third base before. Um, the Chicago White Sox don't really have a long-term third baseman in mind. Um, so you think getting down the line, you know, he could play second base, but he was a 400 hitter in college. Um, he has a very, very fast. He doesn't have a lot of home run power, but he has gap power. You know, he can hit the gaps, get doubles and triples. And he walks more than he strikes out. You know, those are the things that, you know, he's an advanced hitter. People look at those things as being a mature hitter that can transition into the major leagues and more walks than strikeouts is one of those big highlights people look at. Of course, you have a good eye. But if you could, if you could kind of relate him to a current player at his, you know, he's only five foot seven. He's a small guy. There, there was six foot five, six foot six batters out there like Aaron Judge, who the White Sox could have taken with that number four pick. But, who, who do you think he kind of relates to in the MLB? Um, in my mind, he is Jose Altuve, but with less home run power. Um, very similar. Gold glove potential second baseman. High average hitter. But he's not going to hit as home many home runs as Altuve. Yeah, and that's an MVP status. So that's definitely a, a pretty big move for the White Sox. Now, I know you said there's a bunch of guys who you think you can make a difference. But which one of these guys that you mentioned do you think could be a Hall of Famer? I think Eloy Jimenez has the best chance of being a Hall of Famer. You know, he was picked up out of as an international sign by the Cubs, um, was traded in that Jose Quintana deal a couple years ago. And, you know, it's just, you know, he doesn't really have a position in the outfield, you know, down to between right and left field. But that's more common now with guys, you know, not really having a very strong position if they can hit. And I think his bat could carry him very, very, very far. And I think he could be a future all-star and a fringe hall of famer all righty so is there anything else about this white Sox system that really gets you excited um to me it's dane dunning he's one of the guys that really i like you know i've you know 
not being able to have minor league games on TV, kind of go searching through the internet for clips. And I really, really like Dane Dunning. Um, the series four and three, he's got a six and 68 inning pitch. He's a 318 ERA. So 1.21 whip, you know, it's a, it's, That's in, the normal, it's, it's in the normal range. Um, 48 strikeouts, 17 walks. I think he could be a future one or a two in a starting rotation matched up with Kopik. And that would give him a very good one-two punch at the top of the league. All right. All righty. So we're going to wrap up our Chicago White Sox section here. But if you guys do have any other players that you have seen or anybody who you think might make an impact out of the draft, just, just let us know. There's definitely people that Sean has missed, and I know he doesn't like to admit it, but there's been times where you whiff a little bit, but there's such a big minor league system. What are you going to do? So we're going to go ahead. Yeah, right. We're going to go ahead and move on to the St. Louis Cardinals and we will be back in just a second. Welcome back from our very short break and we're going to push on over to the NL after talking about the White Sox and go on over to the St. Louis Cardinals. And I know, Sean, that me and you have talked about these guys a little bit. You told me you think that they had and kind of fell off a little bit. You think that this St. Louis Cardinals team could be pretty sneaky good very soon. So, I mean, with those top 30 prospects out of the MLB pipeline, I mean, what do you see out of these guys? Well, you know, just looking at the top of the list, you know, Alex Reyes, you know, he just came back from Tommy John, but he's right back on the injured reserve with a lat injury. Um, he's going to miss the rest of this year. But when he is pitching for St. Louis, he's very good. You know, last year he missed with Tommy John. 2016, he had a one, one five seven ERA and 46 innings pitched, 52 strikeouts. He's a difference maker. He just has to get healthy. Um, Tyler O'Neill has been up in the majors this year. You know, he had three home runs in three days at one point. Been kind of struggling lately, but I think he's a long-term outfielder for St. Louis. Say, uh, Jack Flaherty, you know, he was up and filling the hole with Adam Wainwright, who's injured. He's pitched outstanding for them. Um, Dakota Hudson hasn't gotten a shot yet, but I really like him a lot. Um, he's six and two and six innings pitched, two six nine ERA. Um, getting some of the advanced metrics, you know, he has a batting average ball and play against of three twenty, which is very very high. So he hasn't had a got a luck behind him with balls hitting, getting hit two people to get outs. And even with that, he's at six and two with two six nine ERA. I really really like his game. It's a lot of ground balls. Um, and just going down the list, you know, St. Louis is blessed and cursed at the same time. You know, they have a ton of minor league talent that is ready to be in the majors, but there aren't a lot of spots, which is what I'm going to get to next. Of course, but, you know, spots have to kind of file in and file out if you want to progress as a team. So who do you think, out of the guys, at least you just named, there might be a few more, but who do you think could actually be on the roster in St. Louis by the end of this year or sometime next year? Um, well, just off the top of the list, you know, Jack Flaherty's up right now. Tyler O'Neill's up right now. Uh, Yario Munoz is up right now. I think that Dakota Hudson, Ryan Helsey, um, and Oscar Mercado will probably get shots at the major leagues at the end in this September, but I don't see any of them making the major league club to start next year. I think you'll only see Flaherty O'Neill on the opening day roster to open next fall. Of course, and then also has to do, like you said, with Reyes's injury. And the thing is, is if he can stay healthy, he'll probably be a stud, if I'm not mistaken. But 
after Tommy John and the lat surgery, it just really kind of puts a big old question in your head. Is this guy ever going to be healthy? Well, you know, that's a very good question. And the thing is, nobody knows. I would I really, really hope so because this guy has an electric arm when he's on the field. And it's, it's amazing to watch even on TV. Of course. I really, really, I really hope he can stay healthy. Of course. Now, obviously, there's a few guys in the St. Louis system that might be able to get pushed out by the management in order to make room for some of these younger guys. But there's not a lot of guys who are quote quote unquote expiring this year. There'll be a little bit a bit a little bit of negotiations that go on. But who's on the Cardinals now that you could see being replaced by some of these guys in the next couple of years? Well, you know, Adam Wainwright, he's been in St. Louis forever. Um, he's been hurt all year, like I mentioned. I think it's time to just move on. His contract's up at the end of the year. I think he'd be going into his 14th major league season next year. He really had some issues staying consistent last year. And so I think it's time for him just to move on. Same with Greg Holland, who was signed late in spring training this year for the, for the Cardinals. Hasn't worked out as a closer that they wanted them to be. That's why they put Bud Norris in that spot. Bud Norris' contract is actually up at the end of the year, but I think they re-signed him. Um, Marcelo Zuna is up at the end of next year. That's going to be a tough management decision because obviously he had good years in Miami. He's having a good year in St. Louis. But with having so many young outfielders at the ready, that's going to be cheaper. You're not going to have to make a 12 to $15 million a year investment, which is what Ozuna is going to command. I think that they might look at letting him go. Same with Jed Jerko. Um, he's a guy that's cheap for them right now, but they have young guys and people who can play that spot. Other than that, the only real big name that's going to be coming up in free agency for them in the next two years is Michael Walker, which is a guy with ace potential. So I – have a hard time thinking that they're going to let him walk. Well, I can definitely agree with that. Waka's been pretty dominant, and he wasn't even at the top of the the rotation here over the last couple of years, but he's still done crazy work. And like you said, with Wainwright kind of on the way out in his career and having so many injuries, you kind of have to turn to Waka to be your ace, especially with such a young group possibly coming in. Yeah, and then, you know, but just, you know, a quick note. My personal opinions, I don't think Waka is the ace on St. Louis. I think it's Carlos Martinez. I think he's got a better track record. But that's just semantics, just personal opinion. It just makes a difference on how you see the game. Now, there's a, there's a few guys who are going to be on the books for a while that they're not going to be able to get rid of, which kind of blocks some of these youngins in. But, you know, Yadier Molina still got a couple years on his contract, still considered to be one of the best catchers, if not the best catcher in the MLB. You know, Dexter Fowler. He's through the 2021 season playing the outfield. But, you know, he's got that Albatross contract, $16.5 million a year just to sit on the bench. You know, you should probably just cut that guy if I'm not mistaken. No, you should definitely look at trying to either trade him and eat a bunch of the salary or just write him a check and cut him at once because, you know, you've got to open up that roster spot for a young guy. You can't have a guy getting paid $16, $17 million and sitting on the bench the whole time. And especially when you're talking about even having trouble re-signing somebody like Osuna at $14 million when there's other prospects loaded behind him to be able to play. Exactly. A couple other guys that are still going to be on for at least another two years. Carlos Martinez, like Sean says, he could be their ace, but he also has an option for a couple years after that. Colton Wong is there through the 2020 season, and Paul DeJong is there with an option at least till 2023. So – 
do you think there's enough talent in this organization to take care of all of these expiring contracts? Yes, yes, I do. Because, you know, as I mentioned, St. Louis has a ton of talent that's ready for the major leagues. You know, MLB Pipeline gives, you know, an estimated ETA of when you think guys could be up. And, you know, 13 of their 30 are were projected to make the majors this year. Um, they have a ton of guys. That's an entire starting on the field, 11 guys. You know, you, they have enough talent to replace anything that comes up injury-wise, anything that comes up, you know, guys getting in freak accidents. I hate to mention it, but it's happened to the Cardinals before with Oscar Tavares. They have stuff. They are very loaded and set for five years, no matter what happens, to have enough talent where they're probably not going to need to make a big free agent signing again. Well, yeah, and that was actually going to be my next question was, do they have enough talent to stick it out, or are they going to try and bolster their team to the free agency? But I guess you kind of just answered that for me. But you well, know, the only, thing, the only thing is, unless they want to get in on Manny Machado from the Orioles, you know, give up a bunch of these prospects and get him and play, have him play shortstop long-term, that's the only move and that's conceivable in my mind for them making of course. Now, obviously, like you said about the opening day roster next year, there'll be Jack Flaherty probably, maybe your Tyler O'Neill, but depending on the health of Alex Reyes, he will most likely be back in the lineup because of the work he's already done in the major leagues. But going past that, Sean, when do you think the Cardinals will be able to contend for you know any type of honors, you know, even a division title or a National League pennant or a World Series? Well, to me, the National League this year is wide open. You know, no team has really come out and taken the reins on it. And if the Cardinals get themselves into the playoffs with guys like Yadier Molina, Matt Carpenter, you know, Mike Messini at manager, he was there. The Cardinals have lots of playoff experience within their organization. They can make a run at the World Series this year. I am not totally convinced that they are not a World Series, possibly a World Series team. And that's really crazy to think about because I know that they don't have a quote-unquote superstar on their team any longer. It just depends on, like I said in the NBA Finals, if they can put it all together as a team. Now, there's a few other teams, obviously, in the NL that you think might have a shot. With, yeah, I don't know, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, the Cubs. I mean, none of these people are really showing up, like you said. You know, yeah, Cincinnati- not in that position. The exactly. NL Exactly. And like you said, you know, the Reds, they won five games in a row and they celebrated. It was crazy um, because they lost their first 14 games. But, you know, there's definitely a chance. And that's been one of the things that's been good about the Cardinals over the last decade is that they've had a weaker division and they've had a way to get out of it and compete in the playoffs every year. Yeah, you know, they really are very good organization. You know, St. Louis Cardinals, they're, they're used to winning. Of course. Now, just to wrap up our little farm system segment on the St. Louis Cardinals, I just want to recap with our listeners who you think are the best people in this system, who you're high on, and why. Um, to me, you know, Tyler O'Neill obviously is a guy that I'm high on. He's been up in the majors this year. He proved he could hit in the minors. He just got to figure it out in the majors. I don't think it'll take him that long. 
Um, I'm not going to cover Jack Flaherty because he's already been in the majors all year pretty much. So I'm going to go with another pitcher that some people might not know in Dakota Hudson, which I already mentioned his numbers and everything that he's gotten this year. The guy has a ground ball rate of 56%, which means every time someone makes contact, 56% of the time it's on the ground. And that would put him within the top three in Major League Baseball right now to get those numbers to translate. That gets a lot of ground ball outs, which helps him keep his ERA and his whip and all of that stuff down. And then the last guy that I'm going to mention is uh, Delvin Perez. You know, he was a first-round pick in 2016. He had trouble at the plate last year. Um, he hasn't played this year so far. He, 2017 was his first full year. I think he's the future shortstop in St. Louis. You know, Paul DeJong might switch over to second base. Delvin Perez might slide in the shortstop. But we're talking years down the road. But he needs to figure out his hitting. But if he does, I think he could be probably one of the next superstars. Of course. And there's one thing we did not touch on before we end this was their draft pick from this year. I know I believe they uh, picked yeah. number 19. And I mean, he's, he's out of high school. What do you think about taking such a young guy? Well, Nolan Gorman, to me, you know, everything that I read before the draft had him as a potential top 10 pick. And then he slid a bit to go to 19. But, I mean, if you're going to go to – if you're going to slide and end up with a team, I would want to slide and end up with the Cardinals because, you know, they develop a lot of their own talent. And it's a very good organization. They play the game the right way, as people say. They know what they're doing. But we'll see how that works out. I like him at third base. I don't know if he'll stay there. I think he's got more of a uh, first base kind of future written on him. He's got a lot of power. You know, obviously, Mahavi mentioned that he needs to work on his defense. His plate discipline was lacking. He's a high strikeout rate. But he has fast hands and a lot of bad speech. That helps him generate that raw power. You know, he's a high school home. Of course. Coach. Of course. Now, I do have just one more question for you, Sean, you know, before, yes. before we wrap up our podcast. I know we're not going to be able to go crazy in-depth on the MLB draft because there are 40 rounds and a million picks and – there's so many minor league systems that you might not even know where these guys end up. But my big question for you is after the MLB draft finished up today is what team had the best draft or at least the best first couple rounds. And do you, what, what players do you think they took that'll be able to make an impact? Well, to me, the clear winner of the first day of the draft, which was, you know, I think the first, what they call competitive balance rounds and all that stuff. But the winner, we'll just go the winner of the first day. And to me, that was Tampa Bay Rays. Um, they had the pick 16, 31, 32, 56, 71. And with those five picks, you know, they took two of the best pitchers in the draft, their first two picks, Matt Levertor and Shane McClanahan. I think those are guys that are – McClanahan was a college pitcher. Levertor uh, is a high school pitcher. But they're both left-handers. I think that they will develop very well. Um, you look at Blake Snell's recent success as a left-hander coming out of that system. I think that they are going to be able to develop these guys into contributors within three or four years. I really like Libertor and McClanahan. And they got some decent, solid depth picks after that. You know, they got Nick Schnell, who's a center fielder from Indiana. He is from all, you know, a lot of this is just me reading stuff, watching YouTube videos. But I really like the way that he plays center field. And they got two other guys on the pitcher and Tanner Dodson and Tyler Frank. I don't really know who they are. But those first three picks that they got, I think they were the best first three picks of any team in the draft. 
All righty, Sean. Well, as always, we all, including me, like to thank you for your MLB farm system expertise because you love to dive deeper than just about anybody else that I know into the farm systems. And that's why we do this fun stuff. But thank you for your insight. And as always, we want to make sure that Sean and I thank our listeners for tuning in, checking out what we need to say and dealing with our crap. As always, please like, share, subscribe, and tell everybody and anything, even your dog, about our podcast. You know, we like to get in front of as many or get into as many ears as we can. So without further ado, I'd like to wrap up yet another episode of Just Saying Sports. My name is Jake Atnip. I'm Sean Dwyer. Have a great week.